Thank you for listening to the Plain State Podcast, a production of the Department of English at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Sadiq Tsukogi is a Nigerian-born poet and author of Inside the Flower Room, part of the New Generation African Poets Chapbook Series, edited by Kwame Daz and Chris Abani. His newest poetry collection, Your Crib, My Kibla, is out from University of Nebraska Press this month. Your Crib, My Kibla is a powerful exploration of love, grief, and memory, dedicated to his daughter Baha, who passed away only 21 days after her first birthday. In this episode of Plain State, Sadiq talks with his friend Jessica Polai about his new book. Jessica Polai is a poet herself, author of multiple chapbooks, and co-editor of the forthcoming anthology More in Time, a tribute to Ted Kuser. They are both pursuing PhDs in English, with an emphasis in creative writing, at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I have in my hands right now a copy of this beautiful book called Your Crib, My Crib Love, um, by you. And uh, so this is coming out March 1st, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In about um, three days' time. <laughs> I mean, um, I have bad maths. I used to be very good, but, you know, <laughs> ideal in words, I guess. Sure do. You sure do. Um, so you've obviously you've been doing a lot of interviews and um, events, and you've got a lot of events and readings coming up. So you've been talking about the book a lot. Um, so I'm just wondering, what's that? What's that been like to, you know, have to have those conversations since it is such a deeply, you know, personal book that's, that's so close to you. What's it? What's that experience been like? Yeah. Um... It's it's been tough, right? Um, it's not conversations that I want to have. Um, they're like a lot of stories um, revolving the book um, that I haven't yet built the spine to engage in, um, or just not ready to have that conversation. And you know, when I was writing the book, I just wanted to have a platform where there will be silence, where I can talk to myself and also my child. Um, And now it seems that that conversation both imagined um, are in the public space and people would kind of participate in that intimate conversation that I had with myself and my child. And that frightens me. But again, I always whisper in my own ears that I have to get out of my own way, right? Um, Because this is not just about me. Um, Even though it is satisfying that I'm able to build connection even though she's not physically present, right? That's like something that I don't take for granted, right? Because there have been people who have, you know, suffered this kind of loss but do not have agency with words or even the privilege of language to articulate what they're going through, right? And being able to talk about suffering trauma comes up, you know, it it kind of is therapeutic, right? Um, and, and so I am celebrating that I have that agency to do that while simultaneously striving to keep the memory of my child alive. And I don't know if I'm projecting, but what I feel is like in keeping those memories alive, because, you know, the thing with memories that they recede, they fade. And um, I don't want to have to bear witness to the fading of a memory. And one way to keep it alive is by having the book out there and having the painful 
conversation about what it means for the book to exist. Um, these are things that I'm still learning through. Um, it, I am grateful, you know, so it's like my body simultaneously holds the joy of um, this artifact existing out there in the world and also holds the pain that it had to exist in the first place. Yeah, that makes sense. Have you read it? I know, I know uh, people, you know, after, after they get their first book, they might sit down and, and just read it. <laughs> Have you read it? Um, no. So it took a while before, like, what I did when the books arrived, because, you know, I was caught unawares. Um, someone got their copy and posted on, on Facebook. And they, like, you know, say, look what arrived. And they attacked me. And, I, you know, I just opened it and I saw the book. And I'm like, it's out. And his response was apparent. Um, and I was overwhelmed with emotion. And I um, started to cry. Which is something that, you know, I have known would happen, right? Yeah. Because I've published some of the poems in literary journals and each time that you know a poem is published it's it's a it's a it's a mixture of emotions that i haven't completely understood or make or make sense of right but those days are usually days that are really hard for me to bear right because i become extremely sad Especially when, you know, um, people are engaging with it, right? Um, which is the goal, right? To preserve her in the poems. And if one person reads it, right, it means at least my attempt to that kind of preservation is successful. Um, but it, it like drills the hole even deeper because it makes me realize that yeah, she's actually gone, right? And this is the only form that we can have her, right? Um, because it's it's strange that a lot of people now know her name. There's um, a writer from Canada who, for the first time, um, responded to. Uh, a post that I made on Facebook, which just implied, right? And he responded by calling out her name. Um, and that was like the first time that we were engaging on Facebook. And that was satisfying, right? Because the goal ultimately is to keep her close to me, even if it's in a stranger's mouth. Mm -hmm. That's, that's interesting. I was actually, I was, you know, reading back through the book last night again, and there's a few poems that really stand out to me in the book. One of them is Learning Constellations, um, and it starts, Today Baha is not dead. And you, you start quite a few poems like that. Um, and to me, those are some of the most powerful moments of... Um, imagination and also connection in the book um and the re you repeat that line even within those poems as well and it, it almost feels like an incantation like it feels like almost like if you repeat it enough maybe you might make it true you know mm -hmm. um uh, i was yeah i was wondering if you um if you remembered writing any of those poems or what your thinking was behind those poems I know those poems were deliberate. They were the only poems in the book that were deliberate. Um, but the sad thing is that I cannot recall writing any of them. But they're the ones that I read when I want to read the poems. 
Oh, um, like, like when you like when you're doing a reading or when you're just reading them on your own. When I'm reading them on my own, I think the only the only one that I've read um, is um, Marshmallow. Um, but I haven't read. I mean, reading to a public, but privately, each time that I want to engage with that material. Those are the poems that I read. And I don't know why. But maybe I suspect because those are the ones where she's still here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes on, you know, from I don't recall the age, but I know six, twelve, um, sixteen. She's a grown woman, has children of her own. I think there might be about five of them, um, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, when we arrived here, we, 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 we lost her about seven months before we got here. We arrived at America. And since we got here, we have suffered, you know, a series of loss. Um, um, first it was a grandfather, my wife's dad who, who passed and then his mom my wife's grandmom passed 30 days afterwards and I remember um, when my father-in-law died it was different right um, because when Baha died my relationship with my wife was different right she was the only person who I allowed to talk to me, or to put it more accurately, she was the only person I listened to because I felt that we spoke the same language, right? She understood. And if there's one person who even holds more agency over that grief more than me, it's her, right? Um, because this is not just a child that she cradled in her own arms. It's a child that grew inside of her. It's a child that is literally an offshoot of her body. Um, but it was different with her dad. And, you know, like, and I would talk to, you know, uh, my my mentor about this. Uh, I'm not going to say who, because I don't know if they're comfortable. Um, me talking about the past here, but I wanted to be of help to her, right? Um, because I he he was somebody who was important to me, right? Too, because he's been there for me in ways that you know that I cannot explain, right? Um, um, but. I couldn't connect with my wife, right, um, about that particular grief because in some ways there was like a bridge that I needed to cross, right? At least in her own mind because she's like, I cannot understand. And my response is, I do not understand like you do, but I get it. Um, I get it. And it was, there was a huge disconnect, which is understandable, you know, when people are, are griefing because the, the impulse is to detach the self from the world to get, you know, immersed in this dark room because that's what grief is. It's, it, it, it really threatens to consume us. But, you know, sh- and this is important to the question that you ask. Um, hopefully, maybe I can make it land. Um, but there's a conversation that we had, and she was like, he's not your dad. And you're not grieving him the way that I am. She wanted me to grieve him with the same level that she was, right? And I didn't have this conversation but I did have this conversation with myself. 
And what I said was, it's not possible for me to grieve him the way that she does, right? Because my connection to him is her, right? Though we've built our own relationship, right? Um, but it's not the kind of relationship that she's built with him. I don't have as much memory of him that she does, right? And that's why her grief would be more, right? Um, but I grieve him. But when I think about him, the things that I remember are limited to 14 years that I have known him, right? But she has lived a longer time with him, made more significant, you know, experience and memories about, you know, him and 50% of my grief or maybe 60% of my grief is grief by association, right? And this made me think about memory. And when we lose someone, we just want to remember. Even that, even though that remembering is a kind of violence against our own body. But it's a violence that we relish. Yeah. That's, yeah, and I, I think that speaks to also the fact that just, you know, grief is so personal and so distinct. And, um, but it also rubs up against other people's grief, you know, if, if yeah, which, which I think is highly relevant to the times we're living in right now, you know, just, mm-hmm. So many people have been grieving over this past year for for so many mm-hmm. reasons, and um, yeah. um, I I think that you know as writers that's that that weighs on our minds and and our work quite a bit. Um, I say that because I know that you know I I wanted to ask you also about um, uh, you recently received a fellowship for a nonfiction. Uh, project that you're working on um and so i was wondering if you if you wanted to talk a little bit about that um we'll we'll, go, we'll get back to the we'll talk about the book again but um yeah but I, but I think it relates to what you're to what you're talking about right now mm-hmm. so that's a a little bit of um a funny situation that I, i've got going with the fellowship i actually one wanted to apply as a poet um um because well you know, that's hopefully what I am. Um, but, you know, they had this weird, um, um, and I, you know, I don't want to diss anyone, but <laughs> I still think it's weird, right? Um, um, guideline that if you're in a, in a program, um, pursuing, you know, the field that you're going to apply, um, the fellowship and then you're like disqualified right, right. because like the language was around yeah. um, you'd be considered I don't want to misrepresent the language but you know the feeling that I got from you know the correspondent because I, I ha- actually had to send them an email hey I, this doesn't make sense to me um, why can't I apply as a boy right and the language sounded like you know if you're still studying the thing, you're like an amateur, you're learning to do the thing. Um, which is true, right? Because like, um, you know, as poet, as anything, you know, to be honest, um, there isn't an end to schooling, right? Um, you're always learning to improve. At least, you know, that's what I think. Um, I will say though, I you know, I, I will say I think you're still applying as a poet because I you know, I, I've read some of your nonfiction and I see I see poetry in it. Um I, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, and we've had conversations about that kind like what happens when a poet moves to another genre, moves to fiction, moves to creative nonfiction. Um, and it's, it, I think it can be really exciting. And I think that what you're working on is really exciting. So can you can you talk a little bit about what it is you are working on? Yeah, I can see that you're pushing me there because I'm resistant to go there. <laughs> I know you are. 
but but I you know I agree with you right um, because like there's I I had a conversation re- recently and the question was like how do I go into nonfiction because you know weirdly people like saw that and they already asked me a question how do you do nonfiction I'm like um, excuse me you know I don't know what you're talking about but you know I'm a poet right and the sensibility that I have is one that is shaped by poetry and the way that I see the world, you know, the insight that I get from the world is insight, you know, that I get through poetry in a way that I have been able to harness that to be a way of seeing, to be a way of communicating in a way of understanding, right? And it's like the language that I know. And I think Um, that translated to to everything else you yeah because yeah because like when when i started that thing i actually wanted to write a poem um about how the world has been reduced into a small space and you know i was in the bathroom in a bathtub filled with water and felt so alone right um not the loneliness that comes with that reduced space and the heaviness of water, but the the loneliness that has befallen all of us, right, and has forced us to shrink our lives to fit into the confines of, you know, our homes. Um, and it wasn't enough space for me with the poem, right, because the poem is a compressed space that is like, you know, that can, you know, unravel into a universe, which is like eternal, in, infinite, right? But because of the pandemic, because of the lockdown, though it wasn't really an effect in Nebraska, it was pretend lockdown. I needed more space. I needed more freedom. And poetry wasn't enough for that kind of reflection at that time. Because it was partly anger, partly the need to touch other human beings outside of uh, my immediate family, the need for us to be together in the world, right, and see how stories unfold. And so I started writing poems, and the next line, I'll jump into prose. I wasn't restricting myself because there was enough restriction out there in the world. And I just wanted to be free. And the way to be free in that moment was to synergize, you know, the agency from poetry and the agency from prose. You know, people would love to say it's hybrid or whatever or lyrical, which is what, you know, the, 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 the Nebraska Art Council, the person that I was in correspondence with, like, she literally said that they were having a hard time because they wanted to know who was behind the thing. It was supposed to be blindly, but they wanted to know if this person was a poet, and they were, like, a little bit confused if it's, like, an epic poem or a non-fiction, but, you know, in the end, even poetry, you know, I love to think it's non-fiction, right? Because, well, in the end, know, and also in the end, does it matter? I mean, do, like, do we need to put it into this box can it just be what it is like here this is here's this thing right yeah sometimes you know as human beings like we're very resistant to difference right to and that's why you know people you know would resist change would resist progress and any kind of movement that is not familiar to them right because we have you know created for ourselves this small box and every single thing, even the things that we don't know jack about, must fit into the confines of what we have created. And sometimes those boxes are really small, right? And there isn't just enough space, right? And, you know, like, I just, I know that I was struggling about what I was doing because I shared it with some people, right? With you especially, because I, I think you, you must have seen about 80% of it or something like that. Um, But, you know, the sense that I got from, you know, the feedback was that, yeah, this is something 
but it's something that they like. And I'm like, well, if that's the response, then instead of laboring to find a name for the thing, why not just continue doing the thing? Let's keep doing um, it, yeah. Yeah, and, and figure out whatever it is much later. Yeah. Maybe there isn't a figuring out, but there's the thing, right? Well, I think, but I think that's a smart, just in terms of thinking about writing process, I think that's a really smart approach to not bog yourself down with what is this going to be? How am I going to, you know, publish this or market this? Or what mm -hmm. am I going to tell people when they ask me what it is? Um, because I, I think that really limits you at, at the, that point of creation, right? Because if, mm -hmm. then if you start putting those labels on it, then it's going to start changing automatically to fit those labels, right? And it, so if you don't put those labels on it, then I think there's a real opportunity there to do something, um, just to let, like you said, to let it be what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, you know, like, truly, the writing of that, and which is something that I'm excited to get back to, because it's, like, reflected, right? Um, it's allowing me to say the things that, you know, I'm not ready to say in the public. But say it, you know, have that conversation um, with myself and, you know, make sense of the world before I step into the world. Mm. Oh, that's so, that, that's so interesting. And that actually, um, so right now I'm reading uh, Gregory Orr's Poetry as Survival. And mm -hmm. he, he talks a lot about lyric poetry as a way of putting order to disorder. Um, mm -hmm. Which, which I really, I, you know, as I was, as I was rereading your book, a lot of that was striking a chord with me. Like it, you know, it, it just, um, felt like this way of putting an organization to these feelings that are in, in so many ways, it, it's impossible to organize them, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it's impossible to really contain them, but mm -hmm. it's, it does feel like an attempt to do that and to, and in, in order to understand them. Um, he also talks about um, this idea of a threshold and poets writing out of um, their threshold. And he, and he defines that in a few ways, but one of them is he, he talks about it visually. He tells you to think about a door frame, right? Like mm -hmm. that, that definition of a threshold. Um, and a door frame, of course, is very supportive, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you can stand underneath it during an earthquake, right? Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, it's kind of this safe space. Uh, and mm -hmm. he kind of equates that with, uh, the, with the blank page, right? So sort of like it's a, a safe space for you to try and do some of that understanding of the chaos and the disorder around you. Um, I don't know. Does that does that resonate at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes that makes a lot of. Do you feel like like poetry is a place where you feel safe? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Before I answer that question, uh, I'm not thinking about um, the door frame metaphor and lovely. Isn't I've it? actually yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually thought that. You know, the door is actually the thing that can save the world. There's this so much care, there's so much misunderstanding happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not sure if I made this up or I got it from someone. Um, but, um, I was reading The Half Finished Heaven, um, by Thomas Transformer, who's, who's like my favorite poet. Um, mm -hmm. and I was thinking about the door and thinking about how a half-open door is still a half-closed door. And I'm like, maybe that's the solution to a great misunderstanding of ourselves, right? Because it just depends on where you stand. The perspective that you get of life depends on how you see it. And how you see life is shaped by your experiences, right? Which might be true, but it's not, you know, the um, it's not like the consensus, right? Because there are like numerous ways of seeing things. And even with the metaphor of the half open door and, you know, being a half closed door, 
there might be somebody who's like standing at a at an even more awkward position where they're seeing both, right? But the thing is, all of those things are true, right? Um, we just need to, you know, be able to shift position, right? To see other people's truth, right? And if we're still more comfortable with our own truth, you can return to your position. But at least you're living in a world where you have more insight, right? Because you've seen from the other side truth. And that helps you, you know, from even understanding um, not just the language that, the, that people hold, but also, you know, their way of life, the culture that they hold, because you've seen it. Um, and now I've forgotten about your question because you know. When uh, do you do you feel like do you feel like poetry is a a place where you feel safe? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, like, and I think I was talking to you about this the other day. Um, the Zadik that now has evolved into this Zadik that you know is a lot more different than the Zadik um, of the you know first 25 years of my life, right? I wasn't this person. Um, and the reason why I started writing, poetry especially, is solely because of the pres preservation of the self, right? Um, not in egotistic, right? But, you know, I just want to be remembered, even if I do not live a remarkable life, right? I want to document the ordinariness that is my life, right? Um, because that's the only way that I survive. And I remember there was a day somebody was um, talking about my poetry. Um, um, it was flattering. Um, but my response was, you know, thank you. And this is not, you know, to the person, but to myself. Thank you um, for extending, you know, the kindness of your words to me, um, for encouraging me. And I consider it a prayer, right? And amen to that. But that's not the reason why I do this. I do this because I want to survive. I do this because I want to breathe out there in the world. I want to understand myself. I want to understand the world. Because, you know, like, we live in a world where increasingly there isn't um, the urgency to have dialogue conversations, right? Um, and that's really necessary for sanity. Um, even if, you know, there's a conflict of ideas, there is excitement of having conversations. Because I really think that's the only way that we push the boundaries of knowledge is by having conversations, by have, asking legitimate questions, genuine questions that are not malicious, of course, right? Yeah, um, and yeah, yeah, and difficult questions. But, and I'm used to this in Nigeria where there is the necessity to have difficult conversations, but there isn't the willpower to face that kind of difficulty. And so people sit on the problem if it's a problem and pretend it doesn't exist. But then is when you put pressure on something that is explosive, guess what happens? There will be an explosion. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I think we can see that a lot in, you know, everything that's going on. I know we've had, you know, conversations about this before, and but I, I, I think it is, um, to, to bring it back to poetry again, I, I think it is kind of a a platform on which it's very conducive to have those conversations, or it can be, you know, not everyone is using it for, mm -hmm. um, for that purpose. But I think it's, there's something about the, the form of the poem. Maybe, maybe it's 
just to, not to simplify it um, so much, but maybe it is because it's partially because it's short, right? And so uh, you're better able to, I don't know, see through, see through it and, and really, um, really be able to pick up on what the author thinks, right? And, ha mm -hmm. you know, because also because it's so much about observation and about observing the world. And I think just, you know, you can tell so much about a person by the way they observe the world, by the way they mm -hmm. look at everyday ordinary things. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think that is kind of at the heart of poetry is how do people look at an everyday ordinary thing and what do they see in it? What do they get out of it? And what mm -hmm. does that mean? in a larger context, in the way they see the world. Yeah. I kind of think it's, it's, it has always been a way to see the world. Um, and even, I don't want to say better than that, but even outside of that, it has been a way to shape the perception Mm. Um, the, the other day I was um, thinking about the great empires that existed um, and um, thinking about um, Europe and the way that they disrupted the world especially Britain right? Mm -hmm. and like the things that we remember of them the most successful tool that they employed is actually literature. Mm. Not the canon balls, but literature. Yeah. Because we sadly hold them in, in reverence, even though there's nothing to celebrate about, you know, some of their legacy, if not all of their legacy. Yeah. Um, and yet, there's still the celebration of their culture because they've successfully taken from us our stories and given us theirs, which is favorable of them, right? And then the perception of them that we have is one where we revere them in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. And so, because I've seen people achieve that, right, um, with art, I'm thinking that, you know, art might be the most powerful tool to decolonize, right? To take back agency from Europe, right? To take back our cultures to shape a new reality of who we are other than what, you know, people would want us to be. I don't know if that answers your question. But I think, attempt. yeah, no, I, I think so. And it's, yeah, it's interesting. And it's also just, again, you know, speaks to, like, the bottom line is art is powerful. And, um, I mean, you know, there were conversations going on uh, not that long ago when you know certain arts programs were beginning to be defunded and it was it's kind of like it's often the first thing to get cut right when we're talking about budget cuts um, you know what's the use of art arts programs well there's a lot of uses for them right like we mm -hmm. um, I think it goes back to you know you were talking about the fact that um, you go to poetry, like you write poetry, you, you do this, these art forms to survive. But I think also we consume them, consume them to survive, whether you're mm -hmm. talking about a poem or a movie or a TV show or, you know, mm -hmm. a, a piece of art on the wall. Um, we all have these things surrounding us and they get us through the day every day. Mm -hmm. And I, I often wonder just like, where would we be without that, without those outlets and without those artists to mm -hmm. make them? Yeah, because, you know, the the page 
all the canvas or even the screen, right? Um, if it's a movie, affords a certain kind of intimacy and silence that allows us to hear what we've been avoiding to hear. Mm, yes. And um, two days ago, I was um, watching this um, movie. It's called Mango Dreams. I think it's a Bollywood movie, but it's um, it's in English. Mm. And it's about um, the conflict that exists between Hindus and um, Muslims in India. And and the 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 division of the the country of India, you know, partitioning of it into Pakistan and then India, and you know, it it was really insightful because it allows me to even make a stronger connection between the things that we do in public spaces how that can affect, you know, not just us, but, you know, other people that we're not even aware of, right? The impact that, you know, our actions can have on, you know, ordinary lives can be immense, right? And we can be blindsided by that because there isn't the proximity to be knowledgeable about, you know, how we've affected those lives, right? And so the story was about this, siblings that got caught up in both sides of the divide, right? Um, the line separated them. And, you know, that's some politician, that's some country, right, deciding to just split these two people, one people into two, right? And when you hear about that, you're like, yeah, once upon a time, Pakistan was part of India. You do not think that, you know, that division might have actually separated siblings. But that's actually what it did, right? It's not just, you know, breaking these two things into two different entities. It's actually splitting families, right? Siblings, fathers, sisters, you know, mothers, husbands wives yeah it's uh it, it can't be a neat a neat split right it's gotta be messy mm-hmm. yeah um i do wanna i, I want to turn back to your book a little bit um and talk a little bit, bit more about that um so this is a book you know about grief obviously but about fatherhood and family also and you know just knowing you I know how much uh how important family is to you and so I'm I'm wondering and I don't think we've ever really talked about this but I'm I'm wondering what kind of space poetry takes up in your just like day-to-day family life um do you read poems together do you do your are your kids interested are like have you successfully passed on this obsession of yours yeah, so um that's a tricky but simple question. <laughs> and you know, I'm just gonna respond um first by saying Rayhan, he wants to do a lot of things, you know, like I've been trying to support him in all of his I w I don't wanna call it excesses, but um he wants to do a lot of things. Today he wants to be a scientist. Tomorrow he wants to be a soccer player. Um, the other day he wants to be a painter. Um, yeah. But I think he might have the sensibility of a poet, right? Because he says these things that I steal and put in the poem, right? <laughs> They're like a couple of, a couple of things that he said. In the in some of the poems in the book, um, which I found really interesting, right? You know, his grief 
was different. We weren't paying attention to him, right? Because we didn't realize that he was grieving, right? We're self-absorbed in our own sadness and sorrow and grief. But we didn't realize that, wait a minute, maybe he too must be going through the same process, right? Um, have, because you have, sorry, you have a poem that's kind of written in his voice, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it ends the first section. Yeah, which is a which is a tricky one, right? Because I know there was a back and forth um, during the editing, right? Because you know, um, I sampled out, and you know, the there was like a certain kind of resistance to you know um, that particular poem, even though a couple of people like liked it, but they're like, yeah, we're not sure if um, this is in the voice of a child, but all I did was transcribe what he said, right? Really? Um, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He woke up in the morning um, and he was scrolling through the phone and he asked, where do we go to when we fall asleep? And that's a simple line, but it's a complex one to try to answer, right? Well, also, um, also, you know, the line that follows is, is that where my sister went? Yeah, 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 yeah. So he was asking those questions, and I was, he was directing them to his mom. Yeah. And I was there taking notes on my phone because, you know, I recognized what was happening. Um, you know, and all I did was, you know, to put those things together. Not that it all came out at once, but it was like series of questions that he was asking and I doing the work of putting them together into one unit. Um, but I love to say 70% of that language is his, right? Um, and he would say this things. The other way we're driving to a lake. I think it's Pony Lake. And the sun was in the sky, right? And he looked at it and he's like, it looks like the sun is on fire like a flower. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those kind of languages, you know, it's like an outburst comes and goes and he's in um, first grade and um, they started you know reading poems and also writing poems and um, one of our neighbors you know um, sent the mom a message that um, his friend Gabby told her that um, Rehan wrote a poem that made the teacher really happy and she gave him a prize. And so the mom was, you know, my, my wife was telling me, and I was like all being cocky about it. I'm like, well, of course. He wrote a poem <laughs> that she liked. <laughs> of course he did. He's got the thing. He's got the, yeah, yeah. He's got the thing. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, to bring the, to, to try to answer, you know, brought a question about, you know, the place of poetry in the house. I'm always writing in the bathroom, you know, in the sitting room. I'm not the point, you know, that sit on the table and say, oh, I'm going to write a poem, right, and set up the, the ritual to write a poem. I write poems, lines, to be more precise when I'm watching the news, right, and somebody says something dumb the news because they always say dumb stuff on the news. And I respond, right, to that. Or in a movie, right, I see a scene, like, well, a poem can exist in this space. Or while I'm driving or taking that evening walk around the city. Um, those are the times that poems or lines of poems come to me. The other day I was driving, and I haven't written a poem in a long time, and um, I was thinking about my grandmom. And I realized that we have never celebrated her birthday. And for the first time in my life, 
it dawned on me that we don't even know how old she is. And you know, there, I'm pretty much sure there isn't a bad certificate, right? Yeah. There isn't anything to show how long she's been here on Earth. And I'm like, well, that's a poem. And I think before writing that poem, I spoke to you about it. I'm like, I don't have the energy to write this poem, but, you know, I, I recognize that there's a poem here. Yeah. And you, you encouraged me to do that poem. And now I exist as a son, which is even more exciting. Um, but my wife is always jealous when, you know, I talk to other people about poetry and, you know, she, she was, um, at one point she was like trying to measure up to be of the same kind of assistance that, you know, other poets that I fraternize with are to me, to my writing. So she grew it up and, 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 you know, try to compete in that way, you know, which, you know, I, you know, it's a lot of pressure and, you know, I always thought that isn't useful, but I've always read how my poems, right? Um, I want to, <laughs> I want to believe that's why she fell in love with me <laughs> when I was still sentimental and all. Yeah. But, um, were you, were you, uh, giving her poems? That, that, that yeah. <laughs> oh, I was very romantic, Jess. <laughs> I remember there was a day because we went to the same what do you call high school, right? Um, we went to the same school, we're pretty much the same class. Um, I mean, our junior secondary school days, the first two classes, um, and we started dating in our final year of um, secondary school. And we were writing exams. It was like in an exam hall. Like big, all of us would be in this exam hall. And, you know, the strictest of strict teachers in the school would be the invigilators, right? And they're like really strict, right? Um, um, and you're not allowed to pass on page papers and all of that. And so I finished before she did. And we're on the same role, right? Um, but she was behind me, um, I think about five decks behind me, and I had finished. I'm not sure whether, you know, I finished, or maybe I pushed myself to finish before her. I don't know. I don't remember. But I didn't fail, so maybe I did actually finish. <laughs> and, you know, I um, took a part of the the... Question paper, I cut out of it and made a, a love sign on it and wrote her note. She still has it, um, but I don't remember what I wrote, but it was something sweet. Because she still remembers and she kept the paper for like 14 years still. And when I was leaving, I dropped it on her desk. That's like incredibly stupid and you know um because if we were caught, right, exchanging papers, that's dangerous. But there were not answers, right, to the questions being asked. There were answers to the questions that my heart was asking. And I thought, you know, she needed to hear it at that moment, at that time. And maybe the risk factor even made it more enjoyable. Um, and what it, but yeah, I did that stupid thing. Uh, <laughs> it worked out for you, apparently. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it did because we're, we're here, you know, still kicking it, right? Um, suffering together, celebrating together, laughing together, crying together, and moving through the world together, right? And she's lending me strength. Um, and, you know, we have, like, four beautiful children. Um, and those kids, they're the light in this dark, dark world. Not just for me, but that, you know, for all of us. And hopefully for the world. 
Well, I I think I have just one more question, and it's it's based on something that you just said um, right there. Uh, you were you were talking about writing a poem. You know, I, I think a lot of us writers have really struggled to write anything in the past year um, for various reasons, right? We have mm-hmm. the pandemic. Um, there have been riots. You know, it's just it it feels like the world is falling apart. Um, and so I think there have been times where it just feels like, well, what does it matter? Right. Um, and you, but you said, you said, um, you didn't have the energy, like you, you know, you recognized this poem that that should be a poem, right. But you didn't have the energy to write it. Um, what, where does that energy come from? And, and how, how can you be sure it's going to come back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I ask. I ask for myself because I, I you know, I, I like a pep talk now and then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know we've had, you know, some of those. <laughs> <laughs> you're great at them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I hope you're not being a good friend <laughs> in this one moment. <laughs> No, I really mean it. Yeah, and and no, and and I ask because um, I ask that question to you specifically because you know so, a lot of times I've gotten that energy from you. Like I've 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 been in that place where I'm like, okay, I know that I have to work on this thing, or or there's this poem that I need to write, and I just can't get myself to do it. But then um, often after a conversation with you or or from something else, that it'll suddenly just be there. So. Where does that come from for you? And again, and, and yeah, like how do you, how do you get through through those moments where you you're kind of in despair and thinking it's never going to come back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I have. So this is something that happened. You know, I don't like talking about my childhood, right? Um, but also, I think sometimes I hinder it, right? Um, but, you know, I, I moved the, through the world without a lot of confidence, right? But weirdly, a lot of people don't even know. But I've learned to hide that. Say, you gotta fool me. <laughs> yeah, like, so I, I'd love to say weaknesses, right? My weaknesses. I've been able to learn how to exist with them such that they're now strength, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I exist in the world. Not that I don't care about what people think of me. I do care. Um, but I care mostly more about what I think of myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and move through the world that way. And so, for me, I'm never afraid of losing the chance to write a poem because I know that I'll write a poem, right? And so, the thing is, I either write a great poem, or a good poem, or a really bad poem, but I am comfortable in all of those outcomes. They're, it's not important to me that it's a great poem. It's important to me that I've been able to capture this moment that seems important enough for me to write a poem about. Whatever that comes afterwards is a bonus, right? If it ends up being a great poem, I am excited about it. But the mere existence of that material is the goal for me, right? Because what I am always interested in is preserving moments so that other people who have not experienced those moments can at least have a shot at something that tries to replicate that moment. Because ultimately, even if it's a great poem, it's just an attempt 
that wouldn't hold up to the real moment, right? Um, and so I'm satisfied in that. And so that saves me a lot of trouble about anxiety, about pressure to create a good poem or a great poem because the work, the, the thing that I want to do is just, you know, to to make a documentation of, of, of that particular moment. And sometimes when, you know, when I'm going to write a good poem, I kind of know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a different energy entirely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like, I don't know if we've had this conversation, but, you know, um, I can just spring up and, like, say, oh, I'm going to write a poem today. I can feel it. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I felt... The same feeling. Yeah. I, I yeah, mean, I, yeah. And it's something... Yeah, it's, it's something undefinable, right? There's yeah. something about... Yeah. yeah, it's just different it's energy. Yeah, yeah. Because also, like, I think what makes a great poem is the poet's willingness to see, to hear, mm-hmm. right? And so if I wake up in the morning and I have a certain level of clarity and a certain level of solitude, positive one, where I hear things that ordinarily are drowned by the noise of the world, I know that the universe is coming together in a way that if I sit down, right, I'd be able to make a poem out of the things that I hear, which in other days, you know, I wouldn't. And so I'm like, yeah, something is going to happen. But also, like, each time I remember I was telling a friend because like they had completed a book, which I thought, you know, and still do think it's a great book. But there's like still this anxiety about, you know, it's not there yet. It's, you know, this, it's that. And I'm like, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's too much energy to be expending on this one thing. It's not going to be the total sum of the work that you produce. Like, it's a journey, right? Do not allow yourself to be imprisoned by one poem, by one book, because hopefully there's like a lifetime to generate a large body of work. You don't want to be the poet who, like, you know, you drop that one book and that's it, right? Because you're exhausted, right? But I see every poem as a stepping stone to the next book. I see the book as a stepping stone to the next book. And, you know, eventually what I want when people, like, look back at my career, if I, eventually I, you know, build one, <laughs> is to be able to see how I move, right? Because that's all that life is. It's movement. And I want the work that I do as a poet to be a testament to that movement. And so there's no time to waste in one poem. There's no time to waste in one book. I'm not saying, you know, poets shouldn't do the rigorous work of producing good work. But I'm like, that's not the thing that would make or break you. It could be the beginning of what breaks you. It could be the beginning of what makes you. But at least allows, you know, the pleasure of seeing the time loop and how you move, you know, through the time. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's not linear, right? You move forward, you move backwards, you move forward, forward, you move backwards, you move forward. And that's life. It's not, yeah, that's it. It's and a so I am, of life, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm comfortable with that kind of um, progression and recession and progression and progression and recession and progression, right? Because yeah. I want you to see the total sum of me, the way that I move through the world, the way that I understand the world, the ideas, the way that I am reflecting. And eventually, all of it would be the story of my life, the story of my perception of life. You see? So so the poem is in the end. All of the poems that I write, all of the books that I would write, all of it comes together to write that ultimate poem that hopefully would be an enjoyable one. 
Well, I think that's a perfect way to end with the poem as the end. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Sadiq. This was great. Thank, thank you, Jess. You know what I'm being... I'm like, Jessica. <laughs> so thank you, Jessica. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> State is produced by Aaron Chambers. Steve Ramsey, that's me, is our sound engineer. Our theme music is by Shadows on a River. On behalf of the Department of English at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, thank you for listening to the Plain State Podcast. Tagline forthcoming.